0: You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin, and me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved, and be happy. Just a very quick intro to this next podcast. This is a two-parter around the condition MS. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that um, myself was diagnosed with ms in january and it's been a very interesting journey so far um learning lots of things and i've learned actually quite a lot um, speaking to our next couple of guests about their own experiences so it's something that's very close to my heart and I wanted to do a couple of features on this because as you'll have heard from the podcast and speaking to some of our guests, chronic conditions can affect people in lots of different ways. It's never the same journey for individuals. Uh, people's journeys can be very, very different. So I wanted to speak to a couple of different people about their symptoms and, and actually there's a lot of similarities between um, Nicola and Karen that I interviewed as well, which will be uh, on the second part of this MS podcast. I want to say a massive thank you to both Nicola and to Karen for agreeing to come on the podcast and also for being a bit of a sounding board. So when I was first diagnosed and I told friends and family, um, lots of people said to me, well, I have a friend or a family member that I know who's also got MS and they'd be very willing to talk to you. And I think that's one of the most important things about being diagnosed and, and getting some help and support and getting your head around a diagnosis of this sort of type to speak to somebody who completely kind of gets it and can, you know, give you some help and advice and, and listen to you as well. So, both um, Nicola very kindly came on um, and spoke to me at, at great length actually this week about her experience and, and answers lots of my questions and agreed to come on the podcast as well and and to tell us about her experience. Um, and the same with Karen. I spoke to Karen oh, some quite some months ago now, shortly after being diagnosed. And it was just, it, it was just really great to speak to her and, and talk about some of the things that I was experiencing and symptoms, and kind of knowing that I'm kind of just not going mad. Because sometimes when you go to the GP, you can kind of feel like that. And if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that's a kind of common theme about some of these chronic conditions, uh, particularly with fibromyalgia. When when Laura got. Diagnosed all those years ago, so I want to thank them both so much for coming on the podcast. I've learnt loads, and it's been a really useful exercise for me. But also, I hope that anybody listening to the podcast who is suffering from any of these chronic conditions that we've talked about, it will take something away about things that they can do to help with their mental and physical health, but also about getting help if they need it too. So, without further ado, we're going to go straight into the interview and speak to Nicola. Hello, you're listening to The Happiness Hub with me, Kedron Elliott, and we are in our fourth series, talking to guests all about hidden diseases and chronic conditions. So we've had some fabulous guests on so far. Last week, we had the lovely Saskia on, who's been a guest on the podcast before, and she talked about her ailments, uh, four, well, five different things that she has, but she refers to them as her superpowers, which I thought was a a great way of uh, reframing your outlook on these kind of things. So today I've been joined by Nicola, who I know through our local Congleton book club, and Nicola's very kindly um, agreed to join us and talking to something that's quite personal to my heart, having been diagnosed recently um, with MS. Nicola's been diagnosed with MS for, for quite some time and has quite as she'll explain to you, a different experience as most people do to MS and these these conditions we talked about from other people. And um, I spent quite a bit of time talking to Nicola over the last couple of days and, and quizzing her and lots, lots of questions. So hello, Nicola. Thank you ever so much for agreeing to be on the podcast and for answering all my questions the other day. You are more than welcome.
1: I'm happy to be here. Fabulous.
0: So um, how are you
1: doing, Nicola? Um, how are things with you uh, being in lockdown and, and stuff at the moment? Um, I'll be very happy when lockdown is over. I think one of the things that I really focused on with lockdown was making sure that even though it was advisable for me to not be out there um, a lot, I wasn't told to shelter in place. But I was told I was at a moderate risk was I had to weigh up that versus not getting out. And so I really made a point of trying to get out to walk. Because I have to keep walking in order to be able to keep walking, Mm -hmm.
0: if that makes sense. Did they tell you, advise you to stay at home because of your condition or medication that you're on? Or
1: no, just I do have a reduced immune system secondary to MS treatment I had. That's called Lemtrada, which is like a, a a form of chemo and it wipes out your immune system. Mm -hmm. And with the whole idea that as your immune system reboots, it stops attacking itself. And I am, you you have it one year for, uh, the first dose is five consecutive days. Then you have a year gap, then you have three consecutive days, and then you're done. But it takes two, probably two years after your last dose for your immune system to reboot and it can reboot with some other nasty things it brings along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I got thyroid toxicity as a secondary effect from that. But because I'm still building up my immune system, you know, being out in a pandemic, it was was something I had to weigh up that Mm -hmm. versus, as I said, not getting out and walking.
0: Two years is quite a long time for your immune system to reset itself completely, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think I don't really know the science behind it, but I think with two lots of, of doing it, you know, they wipe it and then it's just starting to rebuild and they wipe it again. It just takes a while. And and again, that isn't an exact science. Different people respond to the treatment differently. Different people um, recover from it quicker. So yeah, yeah.
0: It all depends on you know how you react to it. I suppose, like you say, bodies are weird and wonderful things, as are our brains, as
1: we were talking oh. about before. Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: So, so can you tell uh, for our listeners, because uh, obviously I know a little bit about it, but just what is MS and how long ago it was that you got diagnosed as yours?
1: Well, MS, multiple sclerosis, I'm trying to get my words out, is a, an autoimmune disorder. And basically your body attacks itself and it breaks down the myelin sheath, which coats your, your neurons, your nerves, and it stops the pathway. So the messages can't get through and it can, you can have lesions, typically they're, they're cervical and in your brain. Mm -hmm. So in your neck and your brain and it can manifest in many different ways. For me, it started off with numbness and tingling in both my arms from my elbow to my fingertips. Mm -hmm. And that was my only symptom at the time. Looking back, as we've discussed, I've had an awful sense of balance for years, and have always been clumsy. Uh, You know, I can be walking down a flat street and I can trip over my shadow <laughs> it all, always been clumsy so uh, and I always had a balance issue and I think that looking back I've obviously had it for a lot longer than I was diagnosed yeah but I so I woke up one day with this numbness and tingling and that was it, around August September 2010 and I was misdiagnosed because I'd I'd had a, this topical treatment, um, I'd had an exposure to scabies through one of the places I worked at mm-hmm. or a potential exposure and so everyone had to use this topical treatment from head to toe or you weren't allowed back in the building again and it was the day after that that I woke up with this numbness and tingling so I was living in America at the time and um, went from doctor to doctor to doctor, and they referred me to everyone, cost me an absolute fortune, about three months worth of tests and everything, and no one thought to send me to a neurologist. And I I don't know, I don't know why I didn't think myself looking back, this is neurological, but I think I was the same as them. I thought it was a reaction to the medication. Mm. Anyway, nothing came of their tests and it did dissipate a little bit. And then pretty much a year later, around August, September, 2011, I woke up again. It was even worse. And I had a feeling of tight binding around my chest and stomach area, which they refer to as the MS hug. And... I knew there was something going on and decided I wasn't gonna go back to my useless doctors. And I took myself off to the emergency room. And the doctor there was very understanding because I felt like with the previous doctors, they didn't, I kind of felt like they didn't believe me because I there wasn't anything showing up on x-rays and blood tests that they were doing. But this emergency room doctor, I felt like he believed me that there was something going on and he knew it was something that he wasn't you know, qualified or had the time to investigate. And he said, you need to see a neurologist. Then I got in with a neurology practice and had MRIs, had a lovely lumbar puncture and all the blood tests that they do. And it took a while because they have to rule out pretty much everything else. Mm-hmm. And then they came back and told me it was MS. But at that point, I knew it was MS before they told me. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you know anything about MS before you had been diagnosed?
1: Yes. And <laughs> kind of good good and bad. I, as I was telling you, I, by training, I'm a speech language therapist and working in America, a lot of that, well, the, all the therapy that I did was working with adult geriatrics. And so I had worked and treated people with MS. So I knew what was going to happen, um, as, especially what was going to happen with people that had got quite incapacitated. And that it, it was good in one respect because I knew things to watch out for, but it was mentally exhausting and another aspect Mm. because I knew what my future was um, or what my potential future was because everyone's path is different with MS. But, um, yes, so I knew quite a lot about it, but I didn't know everything and I avidly researched and probably (laughs) over-researched.
0: Yeah it's very easy to do yeah. though in, in <laughs> modern day isn't it Sorry. I'm
1: sure you were, I'm sure you were doing that as well when <laughs> yeah. you've got the diagnosis yeah well there is
0: so much to take on and, and like the fact that you said that there's there's it affects everybody differently but there are different types of MS as well aren't there so what is the type that you have
1: well I now have secondary progressive MS mm-hmm. which is Well, there's two main types of MS. There's relapsing remitting MS, which is the one that most people have. And that's where you have an attack. Um, So you've got a new lesion has developed somewhere and you suddenly have a physical or a mental new issue come, come about. And then they change whatever treatment you're on. Sometimes they give you steroids, IV steroids for three days, which um, are great for bringing function back, but they also take a toll on your body. Um, So that's where you have these attacks, and then you come back out of them to some aspect, you can either completely get restoration of, of the function you lost, or you just get partial restoration. And then you're fine, and you can be fine for Six months, you can be fine for 10 years and then have another attack. And then the other main one is primary progressive, which is a very um, aggressive form of MS where you keep having attacks, but you don't have any restoration. Doesn't matter what treatment they do. So you just keep declining. Mm -hmm. When you've had relapsing remitting MS for A certain number of years and I don't know if there's an exact number again everyone's different and you're just continuing to decline without any definitive change in your MRIs so without them saying you've got new lesions but you're continuing to decline then that's called secondary progressive MS right so it basically means that you're continuing to decline Mm -hmm. and there isn't much they can do medically
0: for you when you were saying that you got diagnosed you said you didn't you'd done quite a lot of research and and yeah similar to you when when i was first diagnosed you spend quite a lot of time on the internet <laughs> and um, the things that i found that were really useful was a couple of charities ms trust has been particularly good uh, but then also finding facebook groups And um, but i know when you were first diagnosed you were in america so you know, where were you getting help and support? And where was the best things that you found that helped you understand what was actually going on for you?
1: Um, well, for me, because of the profession I was in, I actually spoke to doctors, nurses and therapists mm-hmm. that, that I worked with and had a professional relationship with. But support wise, I didn't go onto MS forums, I as I was explaining to you, my coping strategy is denial. And I find that my way of coping with MS is denying it. I mean, I really can't because I'm physically quite incapacitated now, but mentally I try and deny it. And so going onto forums where people are talking about it and sharing their symptoms, was something that I wasn't interested in because it you know I was I was I had no family over in America and so I was kind of in one respect fighting it alone and I didn't I needed to keep working I needed to keep focused but even though I didn't have kind of family family I had an amazing group of friends and they were so supportive my first treatment was Capaxone, mm-hmm. which um, for your listeners is, uh, well, the way I, I it was for me was seven injections a week. So you an injection every day, seven different body parts. So left thigh, right thigh, stomach, left arm, right arm, left bottom, right bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and... I, because my symptoms were in my hands, I could do all of them except the ones in my bottom. And my wonderful friends who were, none of them were healthcare professionals, all took this same day off work when the nurse came to my house to train me how to do it and learn how to give injections. And so they could do my lovely bottom ones. So <laughs> they got, I've faced with giving me injections in the bottom. Even closer uh, friends so after really, that
0: experience then.
1: Yeah, well, you've really got to make sure you trust your <laughs> friends. <laughs> um but yeah, so and and they really were and other friends just it was a, an amazing support network. And especially when I went through the the first Lemtrada treatments of the first chemo that I was still living in America at the time. And you can't drive while you have this. In Britain, they admit you into hospital to do it. Mm -hmm. In America, you have it in your doctor's office. Okay. Uh, Everything is driven by insurance there and money. And it's just a nightmare. And you can't drive. So I had one friend that was driving me in there in the morning, and then another friend that was picking me up once she'd finished work. They were getting me home. Unfortunately, I had, there was no way to make a bedroom downstairs. So I was going upstairs into my bedroom and I wasn't doing too bad, but the last two days were awful. And I mean, it really, really takes a toll on you. And they were amazing. I mean, they were cooking for me. They were coming over, My, I've got one friend who's an occupational therapist. She came over and showered me. They were dressing me. I mean, I was so weak, it really wiped me. And I mean, they were amazing. They shopped for me, they cooked for me. They drove me everywhere and could not have asked for better support.
0: Yeah it's great to have like a network of people around around you like that especially if you're living in a different country and as you say your family weren't over there so you needed some help and support. Um, so how did your MS symptoms or did that treatment help you because because you say it's, it's different for everybody your symptoms I'm on early days I suppose but uh, the, with the type of MS but your symptoms are like you say quite debilitating so talk to me a little bit about how it's progressed since you were first diagnosed
1: well the the Lemtrad was the last treatment and i'd had five different ones i had been on capaxone injections then i had a new lesion on my optic nerve and i had something called optic neuritis which affects your vision in, in whichever eye the lesion is mm-hmm. behind and it, it isn't, well, and again, it can affect people in different ways. For me, it was almost the opposite of tunnel vision. I, I didn't have the black spot in the middle. It was almost, it, it was weird. It was my visual field was affected and my color. I, I couldn't distinguish colors and just in the one eye. And they loaded me up with steroids again, and that did res- completely resolve, but it took a few months. Mm. Um, but they changed my treatment then to Rebif, which was a three-time-a-week injection. And then I was beginning to have more physical issues. It was more in my hands, really not being able to grip and having some issues walking and I'd, I was tripping and falling up, but I'd get myself right back up again And at that point. And so then they took me off the rebif and they put me on Gelenia, which is a pill once a day. And then I was continuing to have issues. So then they put me on Tysabri, which is a once a month IV infusion Okay, yeah. um, that I think quite a lot of people in this country are on mm, of that. Yeah. And th- that initially was doing, I-, I was doing great on that. Um, and then I started to have problems with my right foot. And I got, it's called a foot drop, where you can't move your foot up and down. Initially, I could move it side to side, but I couldn't move it up and down now I can't move it side to side it can be manipulated I was had physio yesterday and he really worked on my right foot and it will move all over the place I just can't control it to move it and when your foot drops down and you can't lift it up it really makes you trip and fall Mm, sure and so because of that My neurologist decided we needed to try another treatment and basically the only one left to try was this lemtrada there is another treatment available but at that time they weren't doing it in america in fact i don't even know if they are anywhere yet in america and that's where you harvest stem cells and do the chemo but for me living in america my only option was lemtrada and we had a six month battle with the insurance company who kept denying it. Um, and eventually they said that, that they would do it. And so that's how I ended up having that treatment, but it really didn't work. Um, I had the second half over here because at the end of 2017, I moved back to England mm-hmm. because it made sense. I, I wasn't going to be able to, work the, I was traveling all over, driving all over New England. um, So Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, flying for work down to Nashville, where our headquarters were, and just working ridiculous hours and, you know, not having family around. So as a family, you know, we all kind of talked about it, but it was my decision. Had to be my decision, but I know they all they were very supportive, and I think they thought it was the best thing as yeah, well. They, they left. They the left thing. it up to me. Yeah. It had to be my decision. But <laughs> yes, um, so I moved back to England and to be closer to family. And initially was renting in Congleton, and then this uh, a few months ago I bought a bungalow, which I am getting adapted for me. So my physical limitations now are my right arm is pretty much useless and I am right-handed so that's a challenge Mm. and my right leg is really not good so I wear this orthotic which is a plastic it's like a plastic brace that goes around my shoe and up the back of my calf muscle and it keeps my foot in a 90 degree position in the shoe Mm -hmm. to help with the foot drop and ever since I've been diagnosed with the foot drop, I've worn an orthotic. I cannot walk outside without that. In the house, I take it off, but I drag my leg. So hardwood floors I have to have, which aren't comfortable to fall on, but they're easier to walk on than carpet. Mm -hmm. Um, I I find that carpet tripped me up a lot. So those are my physical, it's all sort of right-sided, except for my left hand, I never, ever regained normal feeling in it. Okay. Um, so I actually use my mouth as another a- appendage, which has been a challenge with wearing ma- a mask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I was telling you about It's I, I automatically, you know, in a pandemic, the last thing you want to be do- doing is using your mouth for anything but when you've only got one hand and it's your non-dominant hand, it's difficult. And then the other invisible symptoms are the cognitive mental ones. Mm-hmm. So I have word-finding difficulties and I have memory problems. Short-term memory is can be quite atrocious at times. We met through book club that... Mm-hmm. Um, I started in Congleton because I knew I needed to do something. And I have to read books on a Kindle because I can't hold a book. But I also use the Audible app. But as I was, I think I was discussing with you yesterday at our meeting is that if I do listen to a book on Audible, which I really enjoy because I can do other things, I retain it less. If I read the book, it helps retain it more. And that's something I know as a speech therapist, I, that if you actually look at the words and you're reading the words, it mm-hmm. helps helps you retain them more than listening to them.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, the other thing is, it's called emotional lability. And this is the one that I, sh- I kind of struggle with the most because... I've always been a very stoic person. I I think I came, come from a very stoic family and, you know, not expressive with emotions. Mm. But um, I found I get more emotional. I've probably cried more in the last four years than I did in the first 50 years of my life. And it, it's it, weird things that can just trigger, you know, set me off. But also anger, I find I'm very quick to anger now. And that one, it bothers me because I find I snap at people Mm. and I don't always reason things out. Um, I'm very, very cued into accessibility rights and disability rights. And if something isn't the way it should be, I'm very quick to calling people out. And sometimes, I I mean, it's questionable as to whether I'm making a bigger deal than it needs to be, but calling up corporate head offices of different companies and businesses and calling people out on Twitter, but I just get infuriated. But I know that it's it's something that I'm, I'm very conscious of, but not in the moment. Two seconds after I've had an outburst, I'm very conscious of it, and I sit myself down and I'm like, Okay, was that a reasonable response? So I am aware of it, but in the moment, I can't always control it.
0: Yeah, and And it's obviously something that you're passionate about because it's a frustration for you because of your disability. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can completely understand where, where, where you're coming from with that. And I'm sure a lot of people can if they, if they struggle to get to places and they can't. And sometimes the responses, like because we talked about this today, sometimes the responses you get from people aren't really very useful or helpful as well.
1: No. Well, no. I mean, I can go into the example I gave you of a very well-known, very upscale grocery chain that I won't name um I went into (laughs) I just don't know if I can name them on your podcast so I won't I'm not
0: sure but I'm sure Um, people know what you're talking about
1: (laughs) Yeah, so a very nice one and uh, they've got a store very close to me here I went into and and that leads me into the other symptom that I forgot to mention is I have bladder issues Mm -hmm. which again again, can be something that comes with MS. And I've been told I have a overactive bladder. So and, and part of its mobility, I can't always get to the bathroom quickly because I don't walk quickly enough. But I will be in a grocery store. And I'm always looking out for where bathrooms are. And I had finished my shopping but wanted to use the bathroom before I left the store and they had a handicap accessible bathroom. And I went to it and the door was so heavy. It was almost impossible for me to open it. And bearing in mind, I walk now with a four wheeled walker and I've only got one arm that works. So I'm trying to support myself with my bad arm on this walker and pull this ridiculously heavy door open whilst trying to back up with this walker and there's no one around to help me and I don't know how I did it without falling over but I managed to get into the bathroom did what I needed to do in there and then I'm thinking okay now I've got to come out and at least it was pushing it away from me but I ended up having to turn around and back up and use my bottom to push the door open, again, trying to maintain my balance to come out with the walker. And so I I was so infuriated at that point. I did have enough sense to not confront anyone then because I would have shouted and been very inappropriate. So I just left the store, but I did find the email for the store, but it ended up being the corporate headquarters. And I explained the issue and they said they'd look into it. But their solution is that if I'm in the store and need to use the bathroom, is then need to find an an associate that works there and let them know so they can open the door for me, which just is completely taking away disability rights. It's taken away my dignity, my independence, and isn't a solution in my mind. So I'm still, communicating with them but I'm, I'm taking a break from it because my next response to them won't be as right. polite yeah <laughs> yeah
0: I mean it, yeah it's not really ideal that is it really um and you'd expect them to come up with a bit of a better solution but some of the things that you mentioned there is about how you manage those physical and mental symptoms now then? If your dominant hand is, you, you can't use it, have you retrained yourself to use your left hand? And how do you manage those spells where you, you, you do get those emotions?
1: Okay, um, so yes, I, I've trained myself to do a lot of things with my left hand. Now, initially I was writing with my left hand. Um, I do find that quite difficult now. So I don't write any longer. I type everything, mm-hmm. which I can do with one hand on a keyboard, but I can't use my phone and text or email because I can't hold my phone and use it with one hand. Yes. So I use talk to text. Oh, yeah. And you can get some interesting <laughs> <laughs> Most of my friends, especially ones that I'm going back and forth with on WhatsApp, they're very used to me now. And I'll come back and I'll I'll apologize and I'll explain and they'll be like, stop apologizing. We know what you meant. Yes. Yeah, so I that that's how I've kind of adapted, you know, for using the phone. And I use I won't say them because they'll all wake up. But oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Siri they're wonderful. And I just tell them to do things for me. And that makes life a little easier. Other adaptations, for me personally, the best time for me is the morning. So if I'm going to go out and do stuff, because I'm very much fighting to keep my independence, I do it in the morning, because that's when my energy is best. Mm -hmm. Come sort of two, three o'clock in the afternoon, I really want to be Shoes off, bra off yes. um, is, is my thing when I get back into the house. I The shoe, because I get a lot of swelling in my right lower leg and because it's kept in a 90 degree position when I've got my orthotic on, mm-hmm. I need to take that off and walk barefoot to help the circulation. And then I have a recline a chair actually a riser recliner so I can keep my leg elevated when I'm done you know doing stuff for the day um and that that helps and then I just got a hospital bed which is helping with some mobility in the bed and the fact that I can keep my legs elevated when I'm when I'm in the bed and it goes up up and down, I had a ridiculous American bed, which I loved in one respect, but it was so high. I had to use a stool to get into it. And the the occupational therapist watched the way I get into my bed. And she immediately went, you are not doing that anymore. That is not safe. I'm getting you a hospital bed. (laughs) And I had it like five days later, I had this hospital bed. So... I've done those kind of adaptations with cooking. I love cooking, but I have to limit how much I do because standing up, standing when I'm not walking is very tiring. Mm -hmm. So standing in a kitchen, I have to watch how much I'm doing of that. I try and buy stuff pre-chopped if possible. And then, you know, I, I... when family members are around is, you know, if there's, they make the mistake, is there anything you need me to do? Well, hold on, sit, sit down and I'll give you a list. And, <laughs> but things that are becoming more and more challenging is dressing is, is probably my biggest challenge right now. And that's a bra because you need two hands for a bra. Mm-hmm. And even the occupational therapist couldn't come up with a solution. And so, and that and putting my orthotic on my right foot is becoming more and more challenging. I'm glad that my bathroom is the other side of my bungalow to the wall where I'm connected to my neighbor because I was swearing a lot this morning because it took probably half an hour and multiple attempts to get my orthotic on this morning. And I was... Again, with my temper, I was swearing and shouting up a storm because I was just so frustrated. So I think that one of the things I need to look at now is possibly getting someone in. Even if I kind of just need someone like 15 minutes each morning just to help me get my bra on and get my shoes on. And I can dress the rest of myself. I've got a dressing stick that I use but the, these are the challenges. And two years ago, I was, you know, my bra's always been a challenge, but two years ago, I was putting it on and taking it off really quite well, quite easily. And the same with my orthotic, but things as they progress get more and more challenging. And I think one of the things I have to accept is the fact that I need to accept help and I need to get help and stop being so damn
0: stubborn <laughs> yeah but I, like you say you 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 sound like a very independent person and having a lot of those little things that we take for granted every day because like you know I didn't even think about putting your bra on it's tricky at the best of times <laughs> anyway never mind yeah. when you know you, you've, you've only got one hand that you can use um but also you know you talked about your anger but I, I, I think everybody who's listening can completely understand how frustrating it must be
1: yes it it is and and I think that's where I've got to kind of look at quality of life and you know rather than having these battles that take take my energy because mm. I one thing I didn't mention is fatigue fatigue is a huge thing and I think that is a, a cross everyone with MS I think that that is a a common symptom everyone has and it's an invisible symptom and you know we're not we're not lazy we're we're just energy just gets sapped um so quickly and I think that I need to look at quality of life of would it be better having someone help come in and help me get dressed even if it's just as I said getting my bra on and getting my shoe on I can do the rest of it And it means that I've not wasted half an hour, 45 minutes of my energy um, Mm -hmm. and got frustrated, which then has a snowball effect on on mental health.
0: And um, when I talked to Saskia yesterday, uh, last week, she talked very much about the spoon theory and I'd never heard of it until I spoke to my MS nurse about it and about the fact that, you know, we, we all get allocated a certain amount of spoons, but with people who have chronic conditions, they can use quite a lot of those spoons, just doing everyday things that people wouldn't even use any spoons using. And I always thought that was a really good way of explaining it to people, because I think like you say, fatigue is one of those things where people might think that you're just being lazy, but it's not just being a bit tired. It's a physical and mental exhaustion that just everything just seems too much for you to be able to um, tackle in terms yeah. of like some of the mental kind of um, symptoms that you've got, you know, you talked about your emotion and fatigue and definitely the brain fog as well. What do you, do you do anything in particular to help you with those? Well,
1: Yes. And, uh, and that's where my training as a speech therapist has come in is I know what I used to do with people when I, I treated them. And it's really just trying to keep your brain active. And so reading, you know, being part of a book club and, and reading a lot. I do words with friends. So on my phone. So, you know, doing word puzzles. Oh, yeah. I do Sudoku on my phone i play card games and stuff on my phone it stuff just to keep my brain active mm-hmm. and not just sitting in front of the tv or playing a game but, but a game that's making me use my brain use mm-hmm. my brain mm-hmm. um not to say that i don't have those moments where i just sit in front of the tv yeah. because i do. <laughs> um, but, do But yeah, it's really trying to keep my brain active and reading news, but even just simply having a conversation with friends. I explained to you in our epic, like two and a half hour <laughs> conversation we had the other day yeah. that I could talk for England. I mean, I always could talk for England, but it's got worse now because I, again, it's part of the brain and cognitive issues is my speech is very tangential which means I go off on tangents and go off and then I completely forgot where I started and I because I have difficulty with word finding um, I use this strategy called circumlocution where if you can't find a word you kind of talk around the subject Mm. to see if it helps cue you to find the word but combine that with the fact I go off on tangents you know, I can have a simple phone conversation with someone and two and a half hours later, I let her go. (laughs) A bit like me the other day. (laughs) Yes, I was about to say, your your ears were probably bleeding. Like, when will this
0: shut up? I, I have some for interesting conversations and Laura who I spoke to who um is a good friend of mine and the lady that I was saying to you about she could talk for England Ireland Scotland and Wales she talked very much about a similar thing having fibro fog and she was saying yeah she just can't just cannot find that word and so she she uses like it's almost like having charades with her because she starts using her hands and sort of thing, trying to describe what she's talking about. And when you've known somebody for a little while, like you said, your friends get used to your, your WhatsApp messages and some of the things that come through. People just, just obviously go, oh, it's Nicola again, do, do, doing, doing what yeah. she does. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're used to it. You know, we were talking about breaking glasses. I've broken two this morning. Oh no. <laughs> um because similar to um just for listeners uh similar to what um nicola was saying with with my ms diagnosis I, I think similar to nicola you know to yourself that i'd had it for a long time and i've always been quite clumsy uh but breaking glasses but i think it is it, almost a um I'm always doing things in a rush. I'm always a bit of a last-minute Nelly. And my other half was just we just look at where things are while you're doing it. But I'm always just catching things with my hand. And yeah, two glasses went this morning because I was bobbing around in a rush. But but yeah, I can I can blame my clumsiness being on my MS now. So I feel a little bit better about it. As as
1: long as they weren't gin or wine glasses. Yes, those one was a, yeah, one was a gin glass. No. <laughs> I think i've I think I've got two left now out of a pack
0: of six that I bought that'll give a give a few people ideas for birthday presents and things. Um, so <laughs> we've got a couple more questions, Nicola, before we we wrap up. Um, but what I wanted to ask uh, for you because I know, things are slightly different. We've talked about this in some of my past podcasts about diagnosis or treatments in different countries and things and how some of the treatments obviously will vary and and drug names might be different. But if somebody was listening and they're going through a diagnosis process at the moment, because you gave me some quite uh, good ideas about things that I needed to ask my MS nurse or my neurologist about, what would you advise somebody? Where would they go to and what sort of things should they be doing that would help them during that process?
1: I think one of the big things is advocating for yourself. And, and I'd say this is and this is where I'm going to have my word finding. <laughs> That's all right. It's, it's similar and dissimilar in the two countries. In America, you fight for stuff because insurance companies don't want to cover it. Or, you know, the doctors are, are billing every 15 minutes. So you, you see your neurologist a lot more over there. But you see them for 15 minutes because all they want to do is say that they've seen you and they've billed for a neurology specialist appointment, which is a huge number of dollars that they bill the insurance company. So I had to kind of really fight for something's going, something's going on. I don't feel that this medication is working for me. And I had to really fight to have medication changed and try something different. In this country, because i would had the Lemtrada, that was kind of the last treatment that they can do. But I have advocated for myself for other other services. And one of the things I think is so good about the NHS, well, firstly, the NHS is fantastic. And one another big reason why I moved back here is the fact that you get allocated an MS nurse. I just found that amazing because it wasn't something I was, I was used to Mm -hmm. that I had this MS nurse that I was seeing. Now I was seeing them every three months. I don't know if that, and again, it could be because I'd had the Lemtrada treatment and the fact that you can have so many potential side effects that they want to keep an eye on you. Then when I, I was having a real difficulty regulating my body temperature. Sort of two years ago, I was having a a real difficulty. I couldn't stay cool. I would do the slightest thing and I'd be sweating. And I knew that there was something going on with me. And I brought it up with my MS nurse and she kind of ignored me. And I really, well, she didn't ignore me, but she said, you're possibly going through pre-menopause and I I kind of really advocated for myself and I went, I don't think these are hot flushes. They're constant and it's not like I get this flush and it recedes, mm-hmm. it's I'm standing there and it, it can be all day long, I can wake up like this. I, I really felt it was more and I pushed her to get another blood test done and a thyroid panel done. I mean, I didn't know I needed a thyroid panel, but I I pushed her that there was something else going on. And she said, okay, I'm going to check your thyroid, which she should have been doing anyway, and she hadn't done. And my thyroid levels were through the roof. And so I, I felt validated that I, there was something wrong with me because we all know our own bodies. We know when there's something not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I, I pushed and ended up then getting referred to an endocrinologist and I was in thyroid toxicity. It was that high. And that can then lead you to have cardiac problems. Yeah, and, it sounds
0: really serious. Yeah, yeah
1: and um, I mean, the endocrinologist just couldn't believe that it it was that high and that I didn't have any other further problems. But they put me on medication and I'm down on the lowest dose now. And they they think it's, it's almost back to normal. I've got one, a blood test in, I believe two weeks time. And if that one comes back good, then I get off the thyroid medication, which would be great. mm -hmm. But if there's one thing I can say to your listeners, it's use your MS nurse because it is a wonderful resource. And that one's gone now, and the one I have now is much, much better. But just advocate for yourself. Even if you don't know what it is that you need, really push that there is something going on. As I said, you know your own body. Really just say, I I need I need another opinion. I need to talk to someone else. Give me answers. Get, or, or if you haven't got answers, put me on to someone who will give me answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean
0: there's so many things to ask I think during diagnosis and um, I agree with you I think the MS nurses have been fine and I was diagnosed during lockdown Well, was going through all what you did all my MRIs my lumbar punctures through lockdown so I've had to speak to my MS nurse over the phone and only I've only met her once when she showed me how to do the injections but they were great and they spent an awful lot of time on the phone and also they did say to me things like I know this is a lot to take in. So I'm going to direct you to some websites and have a look at the different medications that we're, we're saying that you should uh, consider taking, have a read through them. And then when you've been able to digest all that information, then I'll ring you in a couple of days' time and then we can talk about it. And I think that's fabulous. Really good.
1: Yeah, and, and you've reminded me of something that we've discussed about where you have the differences between the countries is you were given the option to look at all these different medications mm-hmm. and sort of choose one that you thought that you wanted to, to use. In America, you don't have a choice. My neurology practice had a you know a business partnership with the drug company that did capaxone and so I was put pretty much everyone that gets diagnosed with MS in that neurology practice is put yeah, on capaxone yeah. and it isn't until you have an issue that then they'll look at other drugs but the other drugs they're looking at are also ones that they have deals with that drug rep so i
0: very biased
1: yeah i i had no choice except to say i really don't think this is working what else can we do now, now apart from the capaxone, where i had a very obvious new lesion and they changed me. But for every other one, I had to advocate for myself, because I knew I knew I was continuing to decline. Now, it could have been that, as I said, I think I've had MS for a long time, I've only been diagnosed for officially diagnosed, it will be 10 years in September. But looking back, I've had it for, I'd say at least 30 years, if not, if not more 30, 40 years, I think I've had it since I was a teenager, yeah. I've always been clumsy. And so you do wonder how effective any drug was going to be on me because when it finally started manifesting in bigger symptoms than just clumsiness, I don't know if I'd reached a point where there wasn't going to be any drug that was going yeah. to halt it. Yeah. Yeah. But so it, unknown
0: it, questions, but you don't, you just don't know, do you? And like you say, they have to test it for like to eradicate anything else because there's other syndromes that mimic the um, symptoms of MS Um, and I think it's quite common in a lot of these sort of chronic diseases where people you know speaking to some people Laura said that it took her nine years to get a fibro diagnosed Um, I think I've had MS for probably a good 15 years before I got diagnosed so yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's one of those things isn't it
1: yeah my, my only symptom was just, I was really clumsy, but it was always, well, Nick's clumsy. Of course you thought you fell over. I mean, it was a joke. It really was a, a joke that with all my friends of, well, of course you fell over. If anyone's going to fall, it's of course it's Nick. Um, I, I remember one time, I mean, I lived in New England, so there was so much snow every winter. And I think I'd taken a picture of my driveway and there had been footprints up and down and, and one of my friends had commented because of course I posted it on Facebook what on earth are you doing walking up and down your driveway in the snow how how have you not fallen over and I went oh hold on look at the picture by the side of the jeep door and there were there was a butt in print and I went <laughs> I did shaped. fall over <laughs> yeah. It, it was butt shaped. I went, I did fall over. It was taking the, the trash cans down to the end of my driveway and back. And they they were going, you know, how did you walk and not fall over? Well, actually I did. It's a, it was just kind of a joke because if anyone would fall over, it would be Nick. But I never, I just thought I was clumsy.
0: Mm-hmm. I, think, I think I said, you know, that you don't go, kind of get diagnosed just because you're clumsy. But it, it, that's something to think about if anybody's listening. I'm not saying that everybody's clumsy you should go and get like tested for MS, but you know, it just consider it if there's if there's um if you think there's something going on. Like you said, it's knowing your own body, isn't it? And if yeah. things things, little things don't seem right.
1: Yeah. And and in fact, some of the physiotherapists that I worked with were, I think they were they felt bad that they hadn't thought about anything being up with me because. I mean, they used to do tests on me for balance, because they couldn't believe that my balance was so awful. And there are set tests that physios do called the Berg or the Tonetti. And they used to do them on me. And I'd get, I wouldn't get a good score. I mean, I wouldn't be an awful score. But I'd get a score, you know, showing that there's something going on with you. But no one thought it was just anything other than I had awful balance. And would fall over a lot but I mean if if you can't stand with your feet together and your eyes closed without falling over you need to let the doctor know that because that is a big thing yeah yeah I can't I mean I always struggled with that before way before I got diagnosed with MS I mean now I can't do it at all I can barely do it holding on to my walker but that was one of the, the things and so yeah, if you think there's something going on more with your clumsiness, go go get it checked out.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for chatting to us today, um, Nicola, and for all your time over the last few days, um, helping me with, you know, me getting to grip for things and and also for coming and sharing your story.
1: One and thing that we always... Any, no, I was about to say, anytime you want to rail at someone or say, what would you do in this situation? You know, I'm here. Okay, I've got your number now. You might regret saying that. <laughs> Just be thankful you've moved
0: out of Congles and you're not around the corner. I know. <laughs> um, one thing we always do ask our guests uh, when they come on, particularly because we've we're still in a pandemic and we're we're starting to come out. But what makes you happy, Nicola? What's been? I know you've moved house recently, um, but what kind of things have been making you happy this year since
1: since um,
0: after Christmas? Uh-
1: Ooh, what makes me happy? I mean, I'm very happy that I got this bungalow. I mean, there's still things I need to do about it, but it's so open and where I have my living kitchen area sort of go into one another and it all goes onto a conservatory and I have a garden. I mean, I can't really go into it much. We've got to work out a bit more access, but I have an outdoor space. I and I have this lovely light living area. So this has made me happy. Wine always makes me happy. <laughs> I'm just looking at some of the things you got up in, in the background of you on the Zoom.
0: Oh, if you're happy, oh, something, or the more wine, does it say?
1: Oh, yeah. If you're happy and you know it, say more wine. All right. <laughs> the, the one above me says coffee until it's time for wine. Um. <laughs> There's a there's oh they are all over the place. I yes I the big I think the biggest love of my life is red wine. So you got your new house and
0: and wine. I think when we did our first series and we just had we just had a, a set of random guests that we kind of knew that were either working in the mental health industry or just had some stories to tell. And we we asked all of them same sort of question about what makes you happy. And so many people said just getting outside. And sitting in nature, or like you say, when the weather's been better. I mean, it's just been absolutely bucketing it down here. But oh, just be is, able to is. sit in your conservatory. Sorry.
1: It, oh, it, it's hammering down on the conservatory right now. But just having that
0: light, whether you're inside or outside, it just it just makes you feel so much better. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on the wine or the gin. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, for the the first three years that I was back in this country, I was living in a apartment that was the top floor. I had a lift, um, but I had no private outdoor space. And when the pandemic hit, it really was a struggle. Mm, And so I, having this, you know, especially now it's kind of ongoing with this pandemic, I have my own private outdoor space and, and it's just so much easier. I, I have a shower I can walk into now. I converted my bathroom life is easier living here than it was living in my flat. Mm,
0: mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it just makes a big difference. And sometimes I think we forget about these sort of things. Oh,
1: I'm enjoying the wildlife, all the birds at my bird feeder. I have foxes that come through. Three different cats in the neighbourhood use my garden as their walkthrough. But I've seen quite a few foxes come through the garden. Oh, that's so, really Yeah, nice. it's just nice, nice looking at nature.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, thank you ever so much, Nicola. It's been lovely to talk to you
1: again. I will talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin, and me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved, and be happy.